What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com MBA strategy show presented by No House Advantage. I'm Dave Lochran at Lafay underscore D on the Twitters, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. For those of you podcast listeners out there, joined by Greg Ehrenberg at G Ehrenberg DFS, running this back from last week, whether it was intended or not. <laughs> Here we are talking a two-game basketball slate. What's going on, brother? Yeah, we've got uh, two games. Last night's games were last night was one of the first times I've gotten the Memphis rotation right the entire the entire playoffs. It's been so difficult. And then yesterday, finally, I was like, this is going to be a melting night, not because I had any kind of insight. It was it was really you're coin flipping and you're guessing. Right. But I started to say with the Grizzlies, it's like, you know, none of us know who the hell is playing for this team on any given day. Might as well just go with the guys who are lower owned that have paths to upside. So uh, at least for last night. It worked out with the Grizzlies and uh, probably at least one more chance to get the Grizzlies rotation right. So I'd probably go out on a losing note when it comes to the Memphis rotation. But last night was a win. Yeah, absolutely. And and you were saying to me before the show that you'll have a guy in showdown like Melton who's 80% on going into the first game with not the first game of the series, but the first game without Ja and then plays very little minutes. And then he's 3% the next game. So with Taylor Jenkins, you don't know. There's certain spots where you don't know. Now, this slate's a little bit different. Miami, Philly, Phoenix, Dallas. It isn't to say that things can't change because they will, but we've clearly seen Jason Kidd uh, with some preferential treatment towards Maxi Kleba lately and, and, and far less Spencer Dinwiddie. He's seen less minutes in every single game since game one. Granted, last game was a huge blowout. But, I mean, how much variation do you really get with Philly right now, assuming that Matisse Dybul's in, other than, like, Danny Green maybe playing 24 or 36, uh, and Phoenix in these Miami rotations with Kyle Lowry out? Yeah, so, I mean, the the variance with Philadelphia is not the rotation. It's with the usage because it seems like Joel Embiid, we just don't know how healthy he's going to be when he shows up. So he's, he's, he's listed as questionable. He's going to play. But it doesn't mean he's going to play well. It doesn't mean like he's going to look like he's good on the court. He had a 20.7% usage rate last game. And I know that I'm sure you took note of this as a Philly fan. We got halfway through the game. He wasn't even making it back for defensive possessions. He's walking up and down the court. And then bad, after, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, Barkley at halftime said that, oh, he's upset that he didn't win MVP. I don't think it was that. He's got a, he's got a, a torn ligament in his thumb. He's got a concussion. He's coming back from his face is cracked. He's got the orbital fracture. He's wearing a mask. He's probably out of shape because he wasn't able to run for two weeks at all while he was dealing with concussion symptoms. And I, I just think it's a thing where on a day-to-day basis, some days Embiid is going to feel good. Some days he's going to feel like shit. He felt like shit the other day, and it really inhibited his ability to play. And that's why I think he's one of the higher variance plays that we have to look at today. And then depending on how good he feels, that's, that also impacts how much usage Maxi gets, Harris gets, how often the ball's in James Harden's hand. So that's the variance for, for Philadelphia, not necessarily the minutes. To say that to say that it was because of the MVP is silly. Joel Embiid, we've seen it before. He's the type of guy that would much prefer to go out there and prove why he deserved the MVP than to go out there and sulk in a game. That's come on in in a game five about not winning the MVP, so he decides not to play. No, he caught that ball off Deadman to the face and didn't look the same after that. But I don't know. Like, is he is he better now? Was it just one of those? Is he worried that he's going to get hit in the face? I, I honestly don't have an answer to that, so we can break all that down. Uh, Mr. D. Go Blue says, I've, I've always wondered, is it Mr. D. Go Blue? He, he's been hanging out and chat with us for a long time. It's got to be that, right, Jordan? Yeah? Okay. Um, he can correct. He said, who does Laffy love more, Norm or Charles Barkley? There is no winner there. They're both – Charles Barkley – Oh, you love Norm more. Dude – Yes, but Charles Barkley, I'm telling you, when I watch Inside the NBA, I was la- I was watching clips on in bed last night. I swear, I, I was so close to, thank God we have one of those nice mattresses. But I, I almost woke my wife up from laughing. He is the unintentionally and intentionally one of the funniest people on earth. There was a clip where you have to watch this. Just, just type in Charles Barkley cadaver. Have you seen this? I don't know what you're talking about. Kevin Durant had like lost a bet or something. So he had to do a Jersey swap and he gave it to Drake and he took his Jersey off and Charles goes, Jesus, is that a cadaver? And, and everybody, of course, it's like, what? 
Like, look how skinny he is. They can't feed him in Golden State. I'll never do it justice. But having Shaq as like the greatest audience in the world because his laugh will make is is absolutely infectious. And then Ernie Johnson trying not to laugh. It's the greatest comedic combination unintentionally assembled on television. And I will not take no for an answer, Greg. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I'd have to. It, it's what? hard to it's hard to understand. You've never what it seen is, inside the, the NBA. But no, 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 I've never seen that that bit. Oh, okay. I'm just saying in general. But yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. But also, in, inside the NBA, it's pretty controversial. Depending on not not controversial in terms of like anything, the content of the show, but it, it, in, amongst basketball fans, people either love it or hate it. I don't take it too seriously. I just view it as an entertainment show. I like it. If people are looking for basketball analysis, that's not the show to go to. I like it as a halftime show a lot, though. It's it's the greatest. If, if you're going, Adam and I say this all the time, if you're going to inside the NBA for hard-hitting NBA information and to, you know, pursue your knowledge of, of, of basketball, you know, and, and, and cultivate a better understanding, you're in the wrong place. If you want to laugh your ass off, it is the I'm telling you guys, it's a 30-second clip. If you don't find it funny, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. And no, Mitch Hedberg's not better than every other comedian. He was funny, but he's not the best. Come on now. It's it's also relative, right? Because some people just like set of up punchline. I know. You know, because so, there's a lot of people that like Mitch Hedberg because they just like set up punchline joke. And he was really unique and he was really, you know, he was really good at that and had a lot of really weird jokes only he could do. If you if you just read some of his jokes off, like word for word, and it's not him delivering, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like just talking about like escalators and stuff. He was uh, dude, he was very funny. And when he bombed, he was even funnier because he just kept going. I'm just saying, I, I He's up there. I don't I don't think he's. But you're right. It's subjective. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot a lot of people say that about uh, Mitch Hedberg. Also, I think Hedberg might be like a little derivative of Dave Attell. Could be any comedian says Dave Attell is one of the greatest ever. And I mean, I think he's good. Uh, AP Legion of Skanks fan. Not I'm a huge Shane Gillis fan. He's my favorite comedian out there right now, but not a huge Legion of Skanks fan. Who's your who's your favorite comedian ever? Then we'll talk some basketball here. Oh, Patrice O'Neill. Easy. Is Patrice? Okay. Yeah, for me. Okay. For me, it was Norm because people thought he was dumb. And there was this thing that people, someone was like, only dumb people like Norm's comedy. When really it's the opposite. If you can understand that he was wildly intelligent, but he played the, you know, the everyman's man. And he and he played this role of not being the smartest guy in the room. That's why, like, not a lot of people love Dennis Mil Dennis Miller because he he was it just seemed to be smarter and more intellectual than everybody, you know. So, yeah, Norm. The the, the best, by the way, is Norm on Dennis Miller's radio show. They were great together. I, by the way, I like Dennis Miller as a like as a host of a show, like interviewing people, especially with Norm, because he found Norm to be the most what probably he had to have found to be the most amusing person on earth. Well, right, he gave Norm his first ever. He gave Norm his first ever job. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But Shane Gillis right now is my. Who's your favorite comedian right now? Gillis for me. Um, man, that's tough because I haven't watched as much comedy now, and now it's more geared towards my friends. You know, like like yeah, my fair. like like my like my friend Luke just had a set that came out on Netflix. He did a comedy uh, comedy central special last year. So like I'm more invested in following my friends that I started doing comedy with than other people at this point. Okay. Yeah. Greg did stand up for, by, by the way, do you still do it? No. I mean, if I didn't do this, it's probably what I would be. If, if I didn't get sick, I never would have stopped doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Uh, Arca does says I'm black. I don't know these comedians. I'm white, and I I like a lot of black comedians. So Patrice Patrice O'Neill. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I don't. But I would think Patrice like I wouldn't view Patrice O'Neill as being like, oh, this is like Patrice O'Neill is like the biggest blackest comedian ever, probably. Like, I wouldn't think of him as somebody who's like, oh, I haven't heard of him because I'm a specific race. Right. I mean, it's Chappelle. If you're talking about like the one that everybody knows, you're you could you're you are you were a comedian or are so you're you probably see it through a different lens. But as far as just the casual goes, gotta be Kevin Hart, probably. 
Oh, into uh, at one point it was Kevin Hart. Now it's probably Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Someone said he's the Chappelle's the most overrated ever. Then you've never seen his his special in D.C. You've never like no Dave Chappelle is or watch Chappelle show. Yeah, that was the greatest ever. Greatest ever, man. All right. Talk a little bit of basketball. It's the morning time. Sometimes you just got to yeah talk. You can't dive straight into this stuff. <laughs> but we will now since we're since we're into it. Bernie Mac, Daryl Ward said Bernie Mac was funny as shit, man. It was good. And I loved him in Bad Santa. Ha. You ever see Bad Santa? Not for a while, but yeah. Go back. Oh, he was so good in that. All right. Miami and Philadelphia. Let's make this happen. Miami just coming off. It, they blew the doors off the Sixers. It wasn't even competitive. They're coming into Philly now. Game six. Sixers actually two-point favorites here. Looking to knot this one up and bring it back to a game seven where they will uh, ultimately lose, but we'll start with Miami. No Kyle Lowry today. Everybody else question. It's so stupid. Everybody else is questionable. Uh, they are playing. There's zero reason to believe they won't. And Jimmy Butler last game, whatever he was fine, but he lost some minutes in overtime overall though, Greg, he's just been the clear driving force behind this team uh, in every game of this series, even the ones they lost. Yeah. And another thing to consider also, because uh, I think people really underrate the importance of home court advantage. Now, I understand that the Celtics yesterday ended up losing on home court. We see so many games where teams win a couple in a row or lose a couple in a row. And a lot of it is predicated on what court the games are being played at. And then whatever happens, people just write off teams based on whatever happened the previous game. So we saw this in this series, first two games, the Heat win. And there's no Joel Embiid. And everyone's like, oh, my God, the Sixers are done. They have no chance to win. And that was actually probably a, a reasonable take when Joel Embiid was out. But then Joel Embiid comes back. And there's still kind of this idea of like, all right, where can the Sixers get back in the series? How healthy is Joel Embiid going to be? Philly wins two games in a row at home. And the narrative becomes, ah, oh, the, the 76ers would have swept the series if the Heat, if the if, if Embiid played. And then the Sixers get blown out in game six. And I was like, oh, my God, the Sixers are done. They've quit on it's the sweat, the 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 ebbs and flows of the series that are based on home court are really massive. And I wouldn't be surprised if the public is all over Miami in this spot when that shouldn't be the case. You could definitely be right about that. I mean, the Sixers are actually afraid to lose at home. So take that for what it's worth. I'm not even kidding. You, you might think I'm joking <laughs> about that. I'm not. They they have outright said it. I'll never forget when they asked Ben Simmons, you know, why they're playing so well at home. And he said, because we're afraid to lose. And Tobias Harris, that game six against Toronto, they asked him, he goes, yeah, there was just no way we were going back to Philly. He's like, we did not want to go back to Philly for a game seven. But I don't know. You could argue it works against you. But I agree. Home court advantage, you see it in the spread every single day, uh, is definitely significant. But while you while you don't have to back Miami from a you know from a, a spread or a money line standpoint, it's still a spot where Jimmy Butler's price has gone from eighty nine hundred two games ago to ninety eight hundred on DraftKings now. So just given where he's priced on a slate that you have Luca and then you have Embiid who's actually cheaper than Butler now. You have Harden at eighty seven, Devin Booker at eighty eight hundred. Um, where does where, how do you prioritize someone like Butler at that price point amongst those other top tier guys or, you know, high mid range guys? Uh, I don't. And here's the other reason right. why, because when, when I've talked about some of the public bias that's been baked into these games, it's at a massive sway on ownership projections too. And, you know, obviously when we're doing ownership projections, it's, it's mathematical. It's, it's based on, it's based on an algorithm, but there's a human element to the playoff ownership. That's a lot stronger than the regular season ownership. So we've seen a lot of these games where Jimmy Butler plays really well and he might be projected for, you know, 25% ownership, but then the slate starts like, Oh my God, Jimmy Butler's 40, 45% owned even at the inflated price points. And that's something we've seen happen pretty commonly throughout the playoffs. And same with like Victor Oladipo. Oladipo has a big game and he's projected for 15% ownership. And then he's like 35, 40% owned. So I do think that we're going to see inflated ownership on Jimmy Butler relative to his projection, just because it's so hard to quantify it mathematically, how much people react to what they've seen with their eyes the last couple of games. Cause these are also games that people are watching more often than they watch in the regular season. So for me personally, I would rather play Joel Embiid in this game than 
than Jimmy Butler just because Joel Embiid's been the better fantasy producer for the entire year. I understand he's not 100% healthy right now, but I think that even what the ownership projections say right now, I ultimately think Butler's going to end up being more popular than Joel Embiid. And I think that Embiid, if he's feeling better today, has, has a more significant upside than Butler because, I mean, he was one of the best fantasy producers in the league this season. Sure. Yeah, it's just, I mean, a couple of things. It's not a great matchup for Embiid, but it, maybe it doesn't matter at this price because if he was fully healthy, he'd probably be 11,000, you know, or, or at least close, right? So, yeah, I, it's so, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's talk about the rest of Miami first, and then we can dig into the to the 76ers. Yeah, and but, but I don't mean to jump ahead, but it's just relevant in terms of talking. You know, it's a two-game slate, and the main reason that I'm not going to be prioritizing Jimmy Butler is because I could play Joel Embiid for a cheaper price on DraftKings and FanDuel for that matter. Yeah, for, oh, I'm not disagreeing with yeah. you. Yeah, I'm just saying that. Well, and you've said it. It's super hard to quantify what like we don't know if Embiid is going to be healthy. We don't know how he's going to play. We we have no idea. It, it's kind of you know Ben Rasa has always used the, the 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 phrase, not even a phrase, but just like you you don't just need a you don't just need Joel Embiid to play well. You need to know that he's healthy enough for him to play well to begin with, and. You have to get both one of them right to get the other right instead of just like, will he play well? You know what I mean? Yeah, so. And the other thing, too, that I've done, you know, these are two game slates where ownership becomes so much more important than it does in the regular season. Because, you know, it, when we're just talking about regular season basketball, generally, it's, you know, the guys who are chalk are chalk for a reason. This is different. Guys are generally popular based on what happened last game or any kind of setbacks guys have. It changes their ownership. So. This hasn't been the case with every single situation, but I've pretty consistently been on the guys that have played poorly in the game before, whether it's like DeAnthony Melton last night. I liked him because I thought the field would be off him because he was shitty the game before. And that's kind of how I feel about Joel Embiid right now, why I want to be on him. And then I want to be off Jimmy Butler because I think he's going to go over on because he's played so well this series. For sure. Uh, and yeah, Jordan, thank you for the reminder. I completely forgot earlier. Hit that thumbs up. We're already at 77. I haven't even asked yet. So greatly appreciated of all of you. Get over 300 people in here. Hit that. I mean, well, with 23 to 100, very doable. I wouldn't ask if it didn't help us. Take one single second out of your day and uh, help us out here. And subscribe to the channel as well. Also, if you want, hit that join down below. Get the free Super Chats each month. The custom emojis, the sweet badges. You see them in chat. And we'll always prioritize your questions and comments along with our Discord members. Okay, uh, what else do we want to do with Miami where you've got Hero, you have Bam. Uh, Struce had a nice game from beyond the arc after the whole team struggled from deep in back-to-back in -back games in Philadelphia. What are we doing with the remainder of this Miami Heat team tonight? Yeah, so, I mean, the other thing that makes this team really hard is that Victor Oladipo's minutes, that's another guy whose playing time is so hard to nail down and – you know, there is no there is no Kyle Lowry right now. He's out. But Lowry was out last game as well. And Old Depot ended up playing 18 minutes. Now, I know a lot of people will say, well, it was a blowout. Old Depot didn't check in until there was like a minute left in the first quarter, if I remember correctly. Somewhere around there was was when Victor Old Depot checked in. So I think there's some upside in Victor Old Depot's playing time, but I don't know what to expect from it because last three games now from Old Depot, we've seen 21 minutes, 32 minutes, and 18 minutes. He's played well from a points per minute perspective when he's been on the court. I just don't know how often he's going to be on the floor. Uh, so I look at Old Depot today. Now he is 5,000 on FanDuel. He is up to, what is it, 5,600 on DK. And at least as of right now, he has suppressed ownership. If this is going to remain the case where he's not going to be popular, then I'm going to have interest in Old Depot in tournaments. But if he ends up being popular, then I'm not going to like him. It's so tough to say, too, because he he actually didn't come in until the start of the second quarter. To what to your point, he scored 11 points in the second quarter. So how much of him playing the entire frame had to do with him just shooting well? And maybe he won't play that many minutes today. I, I think that's entirely possible, right? Because he's not. Would you would you would you uh, project him in the closing lineup? If he's playing, if if he's playing well and right. and and Struce or Hero or somebody isn't, then yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really dependent on game flow. Like I don't think Eric Spolster knows right now what his closing lineup is going no. to be. 
And that's also like last night, people were telling me Taylor Jenkins is a terrible coach. But the reason that people don't think Taylor Jenkins, who coaches the Grizzlies, is a good coach is because he doesn't play the guys that they roster in DFS all the time. It doesn't have anything to do with what he actually does as a as a coach. And one of the things, one of the reasons that the Grizzlies have been so good without John Morant this year and why they've been successful in the playoffs is he's really good at making adjustments. And Eric Spolster is the same way. And what's frustrating about that from a DFS standpoint is He's going to make changes on the fly as any good coach should do. What we would like them to do is be an idiot like Glenn Rivers and just be like, this is what I'm doing regardless of the situation. But that's not, that's not what we're getting out of the Miami heat. So it's hard. There's a lot of guys that could potentially be in the mix here. Yeah. Unless you're rivers playing George Yang and cork Moss and Deandre (laughs) Jordan together in a playoff game, Taylor Jenkins is just fine. All right. You want to talk about Philly here? Yeah, we, we can talk about Philly. Oh, also, but we should mention uh, Bam Adebayo is pretty high priority play today. So Adebayo is priced down to 7,400 now on on DraftKings and over on FanDuel. Adebayo is 7,800 with center and power forward eligibility. Uh, So Adebayo is the player that I think makes the most sense that we should get the most exposure to for Miami. He's a really strong option. He's underpriced. On Philly, you got Harden and Embiid both coming in around that 35% mark on DraftKings. You've seen Maxi's price you know, sitting at 6,400. Danny Green is, again, he's an air ball or it's all net. It's, <laughs> it's, it's one of the two from Danny Green or just boneheaded plays. But we do have, oh, we have free tools today. MLB main slate ownership projections are free. NBA player rankings and NHL ownership projections are free. And if you want to see everything else, we have awesome.com slash join Jordan. Throw that on the screen because whether it doesn't matter what your budget is or how serious you are, we got you covered uh, no matter how you want to play it, whether it's one sport or you want to go all in on every sport, we got you football, baseball, basketball, and yes, football. We still have USFL projections, F1, soccer, tennis, and of course, UFC, NASCAR, PGA, NBA, MLB, all of that, NHL, eSports. If they have contests out there, we have content for it. So check it out. And all of our tools built by Awesome himself used by him and managed, of course, by some other amazing DFS players like Sean Zahn, who just took down another 100K. It's absurd, the run that this guy is on right now. These are guys that you would probably uh, feel confident, uh, you know, having this type of work in their hands. So awesome.com slash join and join our Discord, good community in the Office Hours channel where you have guys like that answering questions and helping you better your game. All right, let's go to Philly. Joel Embiid, I, I, th- I don't really think we need to spend much time on him. You, you, you discussed where you're at there. What about with James Harden then on the other side? $1,000 less than Embiid. He's been all over the map. And last game, nobody was good because that he still played 37 minutes, but the entire Sixers team was completely lifeless. Yeah, so it's going to be really hard for me to not prioritize both James Harden and Joel Embiid because Harden is sub-9 Campbell, FanDuel, and DraftKings. And that's just a really cheap price for a guy who, even if he isn't the same player he was a few years ago, he's still a pretty good fantasy producer. And I mean, we only have to go back two games to find where he broke a slate. He scored, you know, 50 fantasy points and played 41 minutes. And typically 50 fantasy points for James Harden, it's like, all right, who, who cares? He's 10,500 or whatever, but he's priced once again below 9K now. So I find it really hard to not prioritize Harden and Embiid for the same matter. I know that right now Embiid is projected for... ownership on DraftKings, and he's projected for 52% ownership on FanDuel. I would be stunned if the numbers end up being that high because last slate, he was also projected for a lot of ownership and he ended up being 18% owned on DraftKings and he sucked. So I just don't think people are really going to want to get to Joel Embiid here. I think he's going to end up coming underweight to what his current ownership projections are. And I want to be overweight to him because he's Joel Embiid. He was the runner up for MVP this year. He has a million injuries, but the Sixers have their back against the wall. I think he ate stands to play extra minutes today. I think he could pick up extra usage also pending him feeling well. So I like getting to both Joel Embiid and James Harden. I think they're the two best overall options on the slate. He truly is a warrior. Now we just need to see if he decides to channel something different than what he did in game five. Jeff Williams, thanks for the super chat. Did I miss you touching on Gabe Vincent as well, starting for Lowry, but wouldn't have gotten there if it wasn't for blowout time. Uh, did we hit on, I, I didn't hit on Gabe Vincent. I don't know if you did. No. So he started last game. He ended up playing 28 minutes. Some of it came in garbage time and he did not step on the court for the second quarter. That's not encouraging. 
And he, it's also part of it because he played poorly in the first quarter, if I remember correctly. He didn't really do that much. No, he's stuck. Uh, but, yeah, he's 4,400 now on, on DK. He's 4,500 on FanDuel. It's certainly a playable price point. I don't imagine I'm going to be that much different than the field. When I just ran dummy crunches before I started the show, I ended up with around 20% of him on both sites. And that is right around where his ownership projection is. I think that's pretty reasonable. So that's probably where I probably end up being really similar to the field, somewhere around 20% on Vincent. You know, it was interesting though. Oladipo, not to belabor this point, but Oladipo subbed out several minutes into the fourth quarter after a short rotation. So he wasn't out there for garbage time. Gabe Vincent subbed in and was out there for garbage time. So again, I don't know if that's any indication of what we see today, but maybe you get a, a shakeup in the, in the starting lineup. I don't think you would. I think if anything, you just see limited minutes from Gabe Vincent, if that's the case, but. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's going to, he's going to start. And then the rotation is just going to run based on whoever plays well. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Once you get past Joel Embiid and, and you get past James Harden, You've got guys like Maxie and Harris. Now, we have seen Maxie just kind of step up and have some solid games. He's super volatile, though. I don't care what anybody says. Because when you're still the third wheel behind Harden and behind Joel Embiid, on any given day, Greg, it's very possible for you just not to get points. And if you're not getting, if you're not scoring, he generally isn't racking up peripherals in the way of rebounds. Uh, and assists are, are, are all over the map for him as well. So a volatile play, but also somebody that we saw in game in game two, 34 points. Even in game three with Joel Embiid back, he dropped 21 points and had a massive fourth quarter to help them uh, seal that win and, and, and run the heat off the floor. So interesting spots with him and, and Ty- Tobias Harris every day. Yeah, and I don't really like either of them now that we have Joel Embiid healthy. It's just, it's just a usage allocation problem where – if I'm going to play a lot of Joel Embiid, I'm making a conscious decision that I think Joel Embiid is going to be relatively healthy today. I think he's going to take up more usage. As a result, that means less touches and less shots for Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. And as is, it's not like these guys have been massive upside plays alongside Joel Embiid. And even the last few games, when you look at Maxey, 18% usage rate, 15.8%, 19.4%. If he's only, if he's only going to take that amount of shots it's hard to envision there's that much upside in him. And then with Tobias Harris, it's the exact same thing. Tobias Harris, three consecutive games, sub 20% usage rate, 19.1%, 16.6, 19.5. And this is all in games that Joel Embiid hasn't really looked like himself. So I think that we have Tobias Harris and, and Tyrese Maxey both kind of priced as if we're getting a limited Joel Embiid, but they haven't really played all that well in recent games where his usage has been down. So it's not enough shots for me. Anybody else here? Obviously, Danny Green being the the obvious guy to get to or to to talk about. I mean, so when it comes to Danny Green, I very rarely play him in DFS. If I'm backed up against a corner and I have to because he's cheap and there's no other value, there's been times where I feel like I've kind of been forced to play him. Uh, but he's so predicated on making three pointers, like you mentioned before. He doesn't get he doesn't score fantasy points really in any other way. He's either making his threes or he's not. And he's not even playing that many minutes. The last couple of games, and I know last game was a blowout. He played 21 minutes. But the game before was competitive. He only played 24. Yep. He made and he made his threes and still scored 21 fantasy points. There's just such limited upside in Danny Green, who typically the ceiling for him is like mid to high 20s fantasy points. It's been that way with him all postseason when it comes to, to minutes. 22, 38, 46 overtime. Uh, 28, 25, 29, 34. He's just, he's low to mid twenties or he's getting up into the mid thirties and yeah, it's tough. Uh, Paul Reed is a goat, but he got additional run in blowout in a blowout. He's really only getting eight to 10 minutes in this game. If Joel Embiid is on the floor. So if for anyone that was wondering, all right, uh, anybody else, or should we go to the second and final game? No, with everybody else, well, particularly with Joel Embiid healthy and also this being an elimination game, I just think we're looking at, you know, bigger minutes from guys like Joel Embiid and James Harden. It's hard for me to imagine like a Paul Reed, George Niang, Matisse Thiable, Furkan Korkmaz. It's hard for me to project these guys to play big minutes off the bench. So none of them really project well. All right. Let's talk about Phoenix and Dallas. Before we do, though, uh, first of all, thanks. We're over 100 likes. Appreciate you guys. Also, check out No House Advantage. Very cool format over there. 
DFS, essentially player prop contest, where you're building a lineup just like you would on DraftKings or FanDuel, but there's no salary. You take the player props over or under. Um, there's a ton of different props to choose from for many sports, and you're building a lineup. The ones you like the most go at the top of your lineup. They get the most points. The ones you're least confident go at the bottom. They get the fewest points. It's a very simple build. And all of the research that you do throughout the day, all of the shows you watch, all of that 100% applicable. But here's the best part. And it's not the fact that you get a $25 deposit bonus when you sign up using the promo code AWESOMO, which is true. So make sure to use that, A-W-E-S-E-M-O, $25 deposit bonus. Everybody gets it when they sign up. But... We have the No House Advantage projections and the No House Advantage optimal lineup tool over at awesomeo.com free seven days a week, 365 days a year. We have the player prop tool. We have Odd Shopper, which is insanely valuable for something like this, where you see our projections, where you see what other books have these at. All of that for a site like No House Advantage is huge. And lastly, all their props are static. So if something comes out earlier in the day, and there's something that changes that elsewhere and you're paying attention, you're going to find some really good spots to hit, put them at the top of your lineup, the ones that get the most points and build it out from there. So download it in the app store or the Google play store, go to nohouseadvantage.com and use the promo code. Awesome. When you sign up, get that free 25 bucks and use all the free no house advantage tools over at awesome.com. All right, let's talk about the Phoenix suns. They, uh, they, they, they dominated last game. The, that day of basketball was horrible. It was Philly getting smoked. It was Dallas getting smoked, 30-plus point, point losses. But you mentioned the home court advantage. I don't go into this game just assuming that, oh, yeah, Chris Paul's good. He's out of, you know, he, he's out of his head now, and he's not worried about everything that happened. In fact, they were making this huge deal about that. I expect this to be, once again, a, a competitive basketball game, as we saw both of the other ones in uh, Dallas and they're, they're only two point favorites on the road. Yeah. And once again, the, the Mavericks are a really good team and offense. They, they basically have one, uh, two good offensive players. There's Luca obviously being the best player on the team by a mile. And then Jalen Brunson's plus on offense. The rest of the team is just very defensive minded. We had the, in the regular season, Dallas played at the slowest pace in the league. And I think they finished fifth or fourth in defensive efficiency. So this is a defense first team. They just have a lot of players that are really strong defensively, which a lot of people don't really value as much. It's the same reason why I think John Morant's a little bit overrated. And I like to troll about John Morant in terms of what his actual value is because the Grizzlies were so good without him this year. The Grizzlies are better with John Morant, but when he gets ruled out, the lines move too much against the Memphis Grizzlies because he isn't that important to the team. They're still good without him. 10 points uh, in game four was that line. Um, what, well, uh, the game four, they were, they were 10, point. 10 and a half point underdogs. They closed yeah. as, yeah, they lost the game, but they covered the spread easily. And if I'm not mistaken, he's now missed 27 games this year. John Morant, they've covered the spread in 24 of them. It's nuts. It's so the, it's so once again, it's not that he's not valuable. It's just, he's, he's overvalued by the public. So the line moves too much when he's out. And a lot of it has to do with defense. And the way I'm tying this into this Dallas-Phoenix game is I think a lot of people might look at this game and be like, how is Phoenix only a one-and-a-half-point favorite over Dallas when last game was so lopsided? Number one is that Dallas is home. Then the other point, too, is Dallas is just really, really good defensively, and it's hard to score on them. And they play low-paced, low-scoring games, which also tends to make them, you know, if there's less possessions, it kind of eliminates some of the variance there. Uh, or at least it eliminates some of the chance for, for more one-sided games. But... Uh, Dallas is a really good defense. That's why this that's why this game is a tight spread. For sure. And the Sixers last game lost by 35, was it, I think? And they are two-point favorites today. So it just goes to your point. Right? It's not like one game should swing things uh, as much as people assume that it will. So um, what is – I'm just curious to see what the pace of play in these series have been. Uh Warriors, okay. Not Philly and Miami, ninety-three pace. That's so low. For reference, the slowest pace in the league was Dallas, like I just said, and their pace was ninety-seven and a half in the regular season. Yep. Dallas and Phoenix, ninety-three point seven pace. Yeah, game slow and ninety-three down possessions per forty-eight. For any of you wondering out there, very, very slow bat, like very slow basketball. Yeah, that's if crazy. I'm 
I, I also think the 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 Philly Miami series. I think it's hit the under in every game so far. Is that correct? Uh, I thought one game went over, but I no one game had to have gone over because didn't wasn't it one that that second game? There's no way the total was two twenty four. Or uh, the game four, there's no way the total was two twenty four. Okay, yeah. So so that one went over. Okay, so yeah, it's. Um, and why? And there was a two twenty two in there too. Oh, so, so it's a, it's a different. There's one series where all the games with the under. It's not this one. Could uh, it be Phoenix Dallas? It wouldn't be the Milwaukee. Series. Oh, it, it was. It, I think it might. I think it might be the Milwaukee Boston series. Yeah. Those totals have been kind of high, right? Sitting in like the what is it? What were they? What have they been at? I can't even remember. Uh, let's see. Yesterday was, uh, yesterday was two eleven and a half. All right. So yesterday hit yesterday was the first time that series had a game that hit the over. It's not super surprising. You see this a lot in the, in the postseason, but I mean, you, Greg, these totals for the Philly games, 207, 209, this is a 207 total in 2022. All right. By the way, do you remember, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you remember when we used to see games, and this is not that long ago, like a, a Utah versus a Spurs game or something, and the total would legitimately be 184 and a half. Yeah, yeah, that was like six that was years not, ago. Not that long. Wild yeah, time. I mean, if you just look at, so, all right. So this year, like I said, the Dallas Mavericks played the slowest pace in the league at 97 and a half. If I go back... I've yeah, if I go back just too. five years ago, Utah paid, played 93.3 possessions per game. Yeah. Yeah, I love going back and looking at that stuff. It's hilarious. Because the game is just so much different now. I, 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 no, no. How about this? Oh, never mind. That was the playoffs. Uh, it, 2000. Because there was 2013 thir- and 14, and I accidentally had the conference semifinals still checked off. And... <laughs> Miami and another team was playing at an 85 pace. Yeah, okay. So in 2013-14, the slowest pace team was the Grizzlies. Remember, they, they would just stick you in the mud. Britain grind. Yeah. Tony Allen, Conley, Marcus Saul, Randolph, right? They still had Randolph. Yeah, it was Zebo and Conley. Yeah. And they played at a 90 pace. <laughs> yeah, it's so slow. So the difference is, if you look through the years, 2016-2017 was the last year that teams ha- that there was teams that played a really slow place. That was the year I mentioned where with the Utah Jazz played a 93.6 pace. Things totally changed the year after that because the slowest pace in the league the next year was the Sacramento Kings at 97.1. Yeah. So that was the turning point from 2016-17 to 2017-18. It's a different ball game now. So when it comes to Phoenix, though, does Devin Booker fit in as a priority today when you've got, and I'm including Luca only because we can only fit so many high price guys. That isn't to say you can't go Luca and Booker, but among the Doncic's and the Butler's, the Embiid's, the Booker's, the Harden's, where does he slot in? Yeah. So for me, it's going to be hard to prioritize some of these Suns guys. Cause at least for me, the pecking order of the guys that right now I really want to get to it's Harden. It is Embiid and it's Luca Doncic. So as a result, guys like Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Jimmy Butler just kind of fall by the wayside because I could come out here and I could tell you guys, hey, all of these guys are really good plays. They all have upside because they do, but I can't legitimately build lineups and play all of these guys in the same lineup. So I have to make decisions and my decision is ultimately going to lead me to uh, getting to less of Chris Paul and Devin Booker than some of the other stars on the slate. Uh, because I think we've gotten to a point now, particularly with Devin Booker, where he was really cheap and under owned for a point in time. And that's just not the case anymore. He's up to $9,300 over on FanDuel and is also somewhat popular. And he's up to 88 right now on DK. Once again, not an unplayable price point, but would I rather play Devin Booker at 8,800 or James Harden at 8,700? Say we want about James Harden where he's at at this point in his career. Uh, he's a better fantasy producer than Devin Booker. I don't think there's really too much debate about that. It doesn't mean Devin Booker can't outscore him on this individual night, but over the course of the year, Harden was a better fantasy player. Is it the same Harden? The same Harden now as it was a couple months ago. It's not the same Harden now as it was two years ago. Is it the same Harden as we saw at the beginning of the season? 
Well, James Harden's beginning of the season sucked. Well, he had some, he had a good, I don't remember when it was, but he had a really good stretch at one point in Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, he had, he, he had some good games when both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were out where he had to take up all the usage. But remember when he first came to Philly, he had a bunch of massive games then as well. Yeah, yeah, he triple-doubled in one of his first games for sure, yeah. I think he triple-doubled in – it was either his first or second game with Philly. It wasn't the first game because that I was at a bar with my buddies, and that was against the Timberwolves, and they ended up smoking. Uh, yeah, so he scored – yeah, so that first game he played limited minutes because of a blowout, but he put up 27, 8, and 12. His second game with Philly, he put up 29, 10, and 16. Yeah, that's it, against the Knicks. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had 26, 9, and 9 the next game. So – yeah, so he played he played well for a while with Philly, and then he just kind of trailed off towards the end of the regular season. What else do you want to do with Phoenix tonight? Yeah, so I mean, other guys when it comes to Phoenix is also pay attention to the rotation. So I know I've seen some people in the chat bring it up. My expectation is that we are not going to see much of Campaign or JaVale McGee, if at all, today. So last game, Cameron Payne was out of the rotation until garbage time. JaVale McGee played three minutes. And we saw Monty Williams talk about in the post-game press conference. Here was his quote. I brought it up here uh, just so I could read it. So I'm not saying anything out of turn. Uh, He said uh, when he was asked why Cameron Payton, JaVale McGee were out of the rotation in favor of Landry Shaman, Bismack Biombo, he said, well, it's just the decision. You don't know how it's going to work out. But when we look at some of the matchups and the energy that Bismack Biombo brings to the game, it was a hard decision. I tried to play all three centers. We felt like Biz's energy would allow for us to make more energy plays. We went with Biz tonight because we knew he was going to bring that kind of energy. And then Landry Shaman, his minutes, has shown that he could guard and stand in front of the ball better than most people think. He could space the floor and his ability to handle the ball and initiate with Book, allow him to be on the floor with Book. Considering they won last game so handily, I don't think they're going to mix that up. I think we see Shaman and Biombo in the rotation ahead of campaign and uh, and Bismarck, ahead, of, uh, ahead of JaVale McGee and Cameron Payne. So with that in mind, uh, I, if anybody's thinking about going back to McGee because he's been a good fantasy producer early in the series, I, I don't think he's going to play a significant role. What about the fact that Aiton did lose minutes in that first quarter to, 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 to foul trouble as well? So I'm not saying I want to play Biombo. I'm just saying that I don't want to play McGee or Campaign, who I assume that people might gotcha. want to go back to today. Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, if you get 18 minutes from Biombo, even if, you know, you if you assume he plays a similar role as last game, 18 minutes from Biombo isn't all that crazy. You know, he's a fantasy point per minute, one fantasy point per minute guy on the season in large field tournaments, basically a minimum salary play at the most valuable punt position there is. I think you could do worse than taking some shots there, especially if ownership remains low. If I had to play one of Biombo or McGee, I would play Biombo. Ultimately, though, I don't really think I'm going to play either of them. And campaign also is not going to be my player pool. And then as for Landry Shamit off the bench, uh, he's probably going to play limited minutes once again ahead of campaign. But he kind of sucks the fantasy producer also. He played 19 minutes last game. But overall for the season, he played 20 minutes per game and averaged 13.9 fantasy points. So if we're just looking at his normal role, basically, where he played 19 minutes, then you were probably looking at, especially when you consider the tough matchup, you're looking at, you know, like 12, 13 fantasy point projection for Shamit. Yeah, I don't want anything to do with him. To, if, if, if Biombo is just, centers are just more appealing. It's just far more appealing than a guy like Shamit who generally just stands around. How about the other guys? We'll wrap up the Suns and, and then talk about Dallas here. Just Paul Bridges, Crowder, the same, the same guys that we've talked about. Crowder... I think he's dealing with a shoulder uh, injury here. He did foul out last game as well. Granted, it didn't matter much because that game was 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 out of hand and everyone was coming off anyway. But uh, he only played 26, what are you, 27? I guess he was in foul trouble uh, early in that third quarter too. So what are you doing with these guys? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the minutes for, for Crowder have also been all over the place for the series, and he's also a pretty shitty fantasy producer. I can explain that, though. They actually haven't. It's either been entirely blowout or, or foul trouble-based, nothing else. You could, you could look through every game. There isn't one that, has to, that his minutes haven't been volatile because of blowouts or, or foul trouble. Kind of. So game, uh, what was it? Game two of the series, he played 20 first half minutes 
and they ended up winning the game by 20, but then they just didn't play him in the second half. And that was also a game where everybody else on the team got in foul trouble. So I think ultimately they would like to keep his minutes to around 32. I don't think they want to play him extended minutes because even in the games where he has played bigger minutes, other guys have gotten into foul trouble. And for the season, Jay Crowder averaged 28 minutes per game and scored 23 fantasy points. So he was not a particularly good fantasy producer in the regular season. I don't think he's an outright fade, but it's, it's really hard for me to prioritize him as well. Yeah, I'm not talking about prioritizing him, but I do, I see it a little bit differently. I don't think he's limited or that they want to limit him to, to 32. Is it possible? Sure, it, it, it is. But just looking at this, I mean, <clears throat> all of all of these games, it, dude, even you're talking about game two. Game two was, let's see, on the 2nd of May or was that game one? Game two was so game two was i mean there have been a lot of weird circumstances around these games so game two was on may 4th and he played he played 20 first half minutes he played nine minutes in the second half but also eaton and cam johnson both got into foul trouble so cam johnson barely played in the first half because he immediately picked up three fouls so they had to play crowder almost the entire first half and then they just didn't want to play him in the second half after that yeah, it is interesting looking at this. I mean, ultimately, he played 36 and 36 in games three and four, and then 27 in, in game five. So 36 in back-to-back games, then 27. Who knows? I, I think I think you're at least, if he's not in foul trouble and if the game's close, though, I think you'd agree that you're probably projecting him at least 32 minutes. Yeah, somewhere around there. And then the other thing, too, is you go back to the first round of the playoffs. He didn't play a lot of minutes then either. So game one was competitive. He plays 28 minutes. Game two is competitive. He plays 27 minutes. Game three is competitive. He plays 34. Then he got a somewhat competitive game four. He plays 29. The closeout game, the the second last game played 23. Like they, they haven't given him the 40 plus minutes that we've seen from other role players. Oh yeah. I don't think he's getting 40 plus at all. I just think he's getting easily into the thirties if he's not in foul trouble. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say probably like lower thirties. The guy though, that I think could play really big minutes is Mikael Bridges because they do like to have him guarding Luca. And if you look at some of the playing time they've seen from, from bridges in this series, you know, last last game was a little muted. He played 34. The game before that, 32, and he got in foul trouble. But the games prior to that against Dallas, 38, 39, and 42. And in the final games against New Orleans, he played 44 and 47. So Bridges is somebody who I think does make sense in that mid-range because he could play a massive amount of minutes. Hit that thumbs up one more time. We got over 400 people watching with us today, uh, and we got a ton of content coming up as well. MLB early live before lock is at noon Eastern MMA strategy shows at one Oh five MLB live before lock at four. Uh, I'll be back on the deeper dive with Adam at 5 PM. And then Greg will be with Eric six to seven 30 on NBA live before lock and check out everything we got over at the odd shopper channel. My betting video Monday through Friday went three and one yesterday. We'll take it winning week so far. And Ben, Ben Ross has got a new one out. It's going to be very exciting. And I saw the thumbnail. It's pretty hilarious. So, uh, check that out if you have an odd shopper, O D D S S H O P P E R, one word. See you over there. All right, Luca, is there really anything that we need to say about this guy? No, just play him. If you have the salary cap space for him, you're playing Luca. The only thing that can maybe be a little bit problematic is that we don't have that many cheap players to go to. So maybe ultimately when I get to lock, I'll have to prioritize him less just because of his salary and the lack of cheap options. But he projects as the highest scoring player on the slate for me by a pretty wide margin. And I don't think that's something that would get any pushback as an opinion. The rest of Dallas Dinwiddie is I've been just hammering the unders on Dinwiddie and under points, rebounds and assists on Dinwiddie and literally every single game in this series, except one, except one where he had 10 for every game outside of one, he has gone under his minutes have trended down. So I'm waiting to see if these books put anything out. I didn't see it earlier this morning. I'll be paying close attention to that. But aside from him, you have Maxi, who has been getting kids, been giving him huge minutes off the bench and he's in the closing uh, lineup. And then guys like Brunson, Finney, Smith and Bullock, who 
those are the three guys outside of Doncic where we just know what their minutes are going to be. You pretty much know what you're going to get from them. Yeah, so the two guys that I've been overweight to a lot in this series with mixed results are Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith, just because these guys are playing so much in playoff games. As long as these guys avoid foul trouble, they're playing mid-40s minutes in playoff games. And the other reason also that correlates with the reason why those Dinwiddie unders look good and the reason they've been working out is there just isn't minutes for him to play when Reggie Bullock is regularly playing over 40 minutes in competitive games when he isn't in foul trouble. Same with Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Finney-Smith, we've seen him play as much as 46 minutes in a playoff game. Him and Bullock both could play the entire game as long as it's close. Obviously, last game was not close. The game And the game before that, we've also seen times where you know, like Bullock's gotten into foul trouble. But, I mean, the way that Dallas has to compete with the Phoenix Suns in a lot of these games is by knocking down three-pointers. And Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock are two capable three-point shooters. So is Maxi Kleba off the bench. And they just don't have a lot of shooting in their lineup. So I like getting to Bullock and DFS. I'm probably going to be overweight to both of them again today because that's what I've been doing for the majority of the playoffs. Uh, They do have a little bit of variance to their game, but they're mid-range plays with a decent floor because of the amount of run they get. Is there anybody else that's viable here, whether it be Kleba or or Brunson? or There's really nobody else off the bench that, that warrants much attention right now. You can't go to Dinwiddie right now. At least I can't. I think you could play Bertans. So Bertans, the series, once again, he's not playing a ton, but in the same way that maybe people have been playing like Phoenix backups, which I've done at times. I know last late that didn't work out at all. Uh, but Bertans played 19 minutes last game, and we've seen him in the series play games with 19 minutes, 13 minutes, 19 minutes. Uh, Bertans generally sucks, but when he gets on the court, he shoots and he could score a lot of fantasy points pretty quickly. Uh, this is DraftKings specific, not for FanDuel. But 3,100 for Bertans on DK, and I only have him project for 12 fantasy points right now, but that still gets him into some lineups just because he could go out, he could play 15 minutes, he could shoot four of six from three, and all of a sudden he lands on the optimal lineup because there isn't that many cheap guys to get to. So Bertans, I think because of the outlook of the slate, is a good value option on DK specifically. Follow Greg at G. Ehrenberg. What else you got coming up today? You got anything else other than the Live Before Lock show? So I got my uh, baseball VOD. We're giving out the hottest dong picks on the internet. We'll be doing that in a little bit. Uh, Other than that, what else do I have on the schedule? Yeah, I've got live before lock later. I don't think I need to promote the meetings that you and I have later. But yeah, I've got that as well. (laughs) I don't think you need to do that. Check out the the home run video over at the Odd Shopper channel as well. We got some great stuff over there. And if you're a hockey fan, we got a new guy doing some, some puck over there as well. Shout out to Jordan Klein. As always, doing a great job. The same guy who thought a, a playground was a park and got real freaked out by Adam saying he was going to go hang at a park. He said, no, don't. You can't do that. Until we, we explain to him exactly what uh, a playground is inside of a park and you don't have to linger. Follow me, Alavi underscore D. Appreciate you guys hanging out as always. Stick around for the rest of the day. A lot of good stuff's coming up next. And we'll see you back here tomorrow on the Strategy Show. Peace. Peace.